0: Hello, hello, dear folks. Welcome to season six of our On The Call series produced by the Star Among Us. I'm Ozzy, as you know, and I'm very, very happy that you tuned in to this thank you tour of mine, as each episode is a thank you card to those who have impacted my life. And on this ninth episode of season six, I'm shining light on Mr. Angelo Ellaby. How are you, Mr. Angelo Ellaby?
1: I am blessed and I am so favored by you and what you're doing for the community. Your fantastic new book, I'm Good Today, Giving God the Glory.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so, folks, this is Angelo Calabi. He founded in 1985 Double Exposure Public Relations, working with artists and record labels to champion the careers of luminaries such as Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Ritchie, Dionne Warwick, Roberta Flack, reggae giants like Shabarangs, Patra, also shaping supermodels, business titans, and industry leaders. But he's also served as Senior VP of Publicity for Island Def Jam Records, where he brought r and supergroup Drew Hill, music legend Ronald Isley of the legendary Isley Brothers, and gospel superstar Karen Clark shared to prominence. He has managed genuine pop star Laura Branigan and rap icon DMX where he collected more than about 22 million records sales in his global tallies in managing that multi-platinum recording artist himself. If that wasn't enough, he was also writing three best-selling books, What's Your Excuse? Ask Angelo and The Sense of Success. And if that wasn't enough, he is partnering with BET Networks to produce four shows, including Harlem, Hall of Fame, which will honor and celebrate the culture of the renowned Hamlet and such Harlem heroes as the original Black Six symbol. And who was that? Mr. Billy Dee Williams, as well as Congressman Charles Rangel, fashion maverick Audrey Smalls. Oh my gosh, great lady. the leading lady of Hollywood, leaves, Leslie Uggams, And who else? Fashion mogul, artist, and producer, Sean. Diddy Combs. There is so much more on top of all of that, but I'm going to start the questions with Mr. Alabi. So, Miss Alabi, what kind of jobs did you have before? You got into this whole phase of fashion and PR.
1: I must tell you that I come from a mother who totally believed all of her six children must be contributors to the household. So at eight, nine years old, I would go to work to make my contributions to my family of seven, including my mother. And I would go to, it was a store called Marty's Meat Market. I was about nine years old and I ran errands for the meat market. I then learned the importance of cutting meat and doing all those things that a young kid would have to do, I think I was making maybe $5 a day. Then across the street from Marty's, my mother worked as a waitress. And there was a restaurant owned by this wonderful, wonderful, incredible lady by the name of Rose Lipson. And my mother was the waitress, I came and washed dishes. And I washed dishes when I got out of school and I have worked those two jobs. From that, again, you know, you have to remember, I'm coming from a very large family and remembering that my mother gave me what was the best advice in life, is to learn to pay your own way. Ask nobody for anything. You absorb and you learn and you pay your way. So my jobs were, they were various. Then I went to work for the city of Newark when I was about 16 years old in a program called the Speedy Program. And that was for those young kids who wanted to work, but it had to be at the age of 16 to start. And I started to work there. And my first job working there in the summer program was washing down the walls in Newark City Hall. And I washed those walls down like I would wash them down at my house with vigor and excitement that I was there in this structure that I was always very impressed with. One day I'm watching down the walls, I'm 17 years old now, 16, 17 years old and the mayor of the city of Newark walked by and he says, young man, why are you watching down the walls? I said, that was one of my assignments. And he says, so I wanna ask you, what is your assignments for the future? And I said, sir, I really, really wanna be in the performing arts and that." Uh, it went on and on and on. And this mayor, the Honorable Mayor Sharp James, took a liking to my work ethic. So the program is over in the summer and he had said, I want to get your name and your phone number and I want to speak to your mother. I said, "Okay." he did. And he offered me a permanent job. I was now turning 17 and 18 years old and I went to work at the mayor's policy and development office. This office served the residents of the city of Newark in terms of future development. I went to work there as a Xerox, I used to copy books. Now all these jobs that I had, did I like them? Did I enjoy them? Not really, but did I learn from them? I did. But the key and the motivation to it all is that I learned the importance of contributing. I learned the importance of responsibility. While my mom had an eighth grade education, I always thought she graduated from UCLA because she had that kind of street smarts and knew what it was going to take in order to make her children viable in the marketplace. And so I went to work in that capacity, enjoyed it, because from that, at graduation of high school, I became the office manager for the mayor's policy and development office, which was then called PDO. And um, I enjoyed my stay there. And the city of Newark has been incredibly kind to me. They have allowed me to go to college at FIT and graduate through college. They lined me and gave me an opportunity to go And live in Paris at 18 years old. And I lived there for two years. My quest was to be a model. My quest was to be successful. My mother always talked about a house with steps. Now, where she got that from, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if it was from the Donna Reed show or one of those shows that were coming on TV, but she spoke so much about a house with steps. And so some of my friends who were fashion models and Working in all the prettiest and all the shows, would always say they're going to Paris for six months, you know, because that's where they make their money. And in that time, we're not taking taxes out. So I asked my mother at 18 years old, if I could go to Paris. And she said, boy, if you don't get out of my face with that foolishness. <laughs> she said, well, if you go there, how are you gonna get there? I said, mama, I'll hustle up the money. So I began to hustle the money. I had various parties. I was very popular at 17, 18 years old. And I had a togo party and I raised $4,000. And I showed her that I had raised this money. And she said, let me tell you a little something. If you go over there, you got one call, one collect call. After that, you're on your own. (laughs) So I packed up and I moved to Paris, France for two and a half years. And we put together this very quick portfolio. One of my high school friends was a photographer, a lovely young girl by the name of Karen McDonald. She took some pictures of me. They were not the best pictures, but we rushed these pictures. They were not good pictures at all. Let me just be honest. I love you, Karen, but these pictures were horrible. And so I couldn't get any work for the first five or six months. So I took a job in a restaurant on the corner of the Champs-Élysées in Paris. And they needed a someone that could fry chicken and make calories. It was a soul food restaurant. And for six and a half months, that's what I did. The one day, this gentleman came into the restaurant and said, why are you, aren't you from America? And I said, yes, sir, I'm from America. He said, do you speak any language? I'll, I said, no, sir, I don't. I have this little book and I showed him the book and he started laughing. He said, so what do you do? He, I said, well, I'm here to model. He said, let me see your portfolio. Never knowing that this man was a very established fashion photographer, I showed him the book, he said... Yeah, man, this is why you're not working. These pictures are horrible. And he took it upon himself to take pictures of me. I went to his studio. He took maybe about, oh my God, for about maybe two weeks, he took these variations of pictures. And then he introduced me to an agent at the Costa Nostra agency in Paris. And they signed me and I began to work. Um, at that time, I was making maybe $150 an hour. I would do like four or five shows a day. Remember, I was staying in a tenement of a hotel, so I had to pay that rent. And then I wanted to save money because the goal was my mother wanted a house. So after the first year, I must have saved up about eighty dollars or $90,000. And I began to send this money home, and it was so funny. My mother calls me and she says, where are you getting this money from, boy? <laughs> I said, mama, I'm working over here. She said, what kind of work are you doing over there? And I laughed so far. I said, mama, I'm going to send you these pictures. So I sent her some pictures. She said, that's you? I said, yeah, ma, that's me. And she said, you ain't doing nothing over there. Foolish, are you? Boy, I said, no, ma, I'm not doing anything foolish. I'm actually working. So I stayed two and a half years and bought home, I think it was about maybe an additional $90,000. And my sisters and I found a house that my mother wanted, and that's the house that my mother passed it. She was happy and she felt free and I didn't want her to work anymore. And so at 48, 49 years old, maybe 50 years old, I stopped her from working and I continued to work a little bit harder because the goal was understanding that she has sacrificed her life for her children, for the betterment of her children, wanting them to be safe in a safe environment, It was my job and my duty to give that back to her. Not always understanding my mother because she was very hard on me because I was the youngest of them all. She told me once in my life, she said, you know, you're great because you're my child, but I want you to be greater. And then I want you to be the greatest at what you go to do. And from that point on to this point, I continuously work and apply myself with all of the things that people say that I've accomplished. I have not reached the apex of my success in my mind. So I continue to strive based on faith and the belief and the teachings of my mother. My mother taught me, and I I made my money off of my mother's will and my mother's faith and belief. She taught me mannerisms and diction, and she taught me all of these things that I turned around and made a business out of.
0: So let me ask you something. When you say you use that, I have read that you were in the fashion industry. Was that the part of what you were talking about into the fashion industry? Because you also did designing. So how well, did it well,
1: I'll tell you, my oldest sister, Rose Ellerby, was my mentor. My sister was a fashion model and she modeled for Ebony Fashion Fair for four or five years. She is still beautiful, warm, compassionate. Loved her little brother and wanted her little brother to be great and then greater. And then she wanted me to be the greatest. So I followed the pursuit of what my sister was doing. And I began to do local fashion shows, participating in local fashion shows. So I would model not to the heights of my sister, but to my level of beginning. And I got involved in all those things that were local within the community. I set forth to say that I wanted to not just be a model but I had some abilities to design clothes. I had that vision and I stayed steadfast in doing just those things. No teaching that they got my play aunt. Her name was Mavis Freeman. She was a fashion designer and a very good fashion designer and, and known for her fashion shows and her exquisite Evening wear. I would go over her house every weekend and I would watch her sew and she would teach me how to sew and she would teach me fabrics and textures and all of those things. And then, hmm, I began to design clothes, women's apparel, evening gowns. My clothes sold in Johnson Company in Milburn, in New Jersey. That's where I started out at. And then I went to Rudolph Goodman's, I went to Sachs, Bloomingdale. And my thing started to sell. The name of the line at that time was called DeAngelo's uh-huh. And we sold in major department stores across the country.
0: And where does hosting come in?
1: Well, I did a show where I got six A C nominations for a show, a talk show that I did called Ellaby's Eye on Fashion. And this is around 19, 18, 19 years old. You know, I think that when you are working towards a goal, sometimes you have to understand what multitasking is. I used to see my mother go to work as a waitress at Rose Lipson's Diner and then turn around later on that evening and worked a night shift at Dunkin Donuts just to make sure. I never knew we were poor. I didn't know we were poor. I mean, because she provided the fineries of life. As a kid, we lived in a house that we didn't own, but she supplied us with all of the needs and necessities of life. So I would just do diligent in wanting to be something special for my mom. And all of the things that she taught me, as time went on, I was able to turn around and apply it. Diction and speech and mannerisms and being polite were the things that I wound up teaching people like Mary J. Blige and Alicia Keys and Genuine. That was my mother's teaching. Sure, I turned around and embellished it by research and understanding, and then I took on the Barry Gordy's motto. Back then when Black music was not being appreciated in the American marketplace, Barry Gordy said that something is wrong. And what is wrong is when you're in Rome, you do what the Romans do. And when you're in America, you do what the Americans do. So he started what was a school. He took all of his artists and applied them and put them inside of a training program for diction, for speech, how to walk, how to talk, choreography, and all those things. I just added on to my curriculum. I had a 24-week artist-developed program teaching diction and speech and mannerisms. I got into taxation, I got into royalties. I got into those things that I thought that our young interested artists not know. And that was the downfall of so many people who were in the industry, but had no longevity. I took that and said, PR is PR. There's a million PR companies out here. What's going to make my company different? And that 24-week artist development program made the difference in my company. As a principle of publicity, their outreach was to teach, educate, stimulate, motivate young people to the awareness of business. The business, because the talent is the business. And that's what we miss out on is knowing the so business you, so industry. Did
0: you get the idea for a PR company based on what you saw very go do?
1: No, believe so it or not. How
0: did that begin?
1: My PR began with a gentleman by the name of James M. Tume. The two-time Grammy Award winner was like a dad to me. I did fashion shows in the city of Newark, as I mentioned, and my fashion shows, they were more extravaganzas than they were just a regular fashion show. So I would bring in Carmen Lavalon and Jeffrey Holder. I would bring in Patti Cleveland, Beverly Johnson, Iman, Peggy Dillett. I brought in to my community something that they never saw before. My creativity was very vast, and I wanted my shows to be special. And so there was a call in the city of Newark called the Symphony Hall, which was a 3,500 seating facility. And I went there and it was jam-packed. I did these shows for about 17 years. Each year there was a different organization that I would donate to. And then in 1975, as I was graduating from high school, there was an epidemic that plagued the world, which was called AIDS. And there were so many misunderstandings of where AIDS came from, that it was a gay community, that it was monkeys, whatever it was. And I became very interested in why, and not understanding why all of my friends were dying, dissipating off of the face of this earth. And I began to get very involved for the understanding of it. I wanted to be educated so that I can educate others. So I brought together all of my existing friends at that time, the Joffrey Holders and the George Pattersons, the Carme de Lavalons, Susan Taylor, Antonio Fargas, Abby D, and the boys. It was massive. And what we did was a 2 part fashion show. The first part was directed to the kids. And the kids were in a state of confusion and understanding HIV and AIDS. They were running from people who were gay. They're not understanding it because there was so much of miscommunications. So I said to my team that I wanted to do a show, but more importantly, I wanted to have a segment in this show where people were educated about this, what was killing our community. Because at one point it was put out so drastically that it was black gay people. And then there was no concern, but when they found out about Rock Hudson, and that it was affecting that community as well. That's when the world band together to bring the support to it. But my concern was for my people. And so what we did is we reached out to about maybe 15, 16 different organizations that had a better understanding of the disease, the difference in age and the difference in HIV, booklets, pamphlets. We must have had 2,000 kids come to the first show. But the key was... Each one of these kids had to get pamphlets. And during the time that they were waiting, going through the door, they went into a session on AIDS. Then the show began, then you got a chance. So the key thing was education, and then it was entertainment. So we educated them and then we entertained them. And I felt so good about young kids walking out of this event informed about life, the things that were affecting their communities and how they can best help. And then the second part of the show was hosted by editor-in-chief at that time was Susan Taylor and Huggy Bear, which is Antonio Fargas, who hosted it. There was Carl Payne from The Cosby Show. Then there was, oh my God, Sybil. We brought out the best of entertainment. We were able to give dollars and cents back to the Newark-based hospital, St. Michael's Hospital, who had a division there called the Peter Holt Foundation. And this foundation was developed to educate and motivate and bring awareness to this by finding the cause and and finding out the solution of this deadly disease. So I got very, very involved in that. And I would just do these fashion shows for different causes. One year I did it for the NACP because I believed that uh, marginalized communities were suffering from the lack of having the opportunity to go through school. And so you try to bring awareness, raise dollars and cents to give these young people the affordability to go to school. So I was always willing because someone started me in this. So there was a young lady by the name of Family Mtume, who was the wife of James Mtume. And at that time, Mtume had the biggest record out in the country called Juicy Fruit. So I was not musically, I didn't get into music, I was into the culture and fashion. So this lady came to my shows each and every single year, and there were so many people there, I didn't get a chance to meet everyone. So she came in the dressing room and she introduced herself to me and she says, Well, I'm Millie Mtoume. My husband is James Mtume. And and- I looked at somebody and I said, this M2 May. And they said, producer." And I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And she says, well, we have, we're doing our second album, which is called You, Me, and He. And we would like for you to style that album. And I styled the album, but more importantly, I fell romantically in love with the m May family and began to work with Camille because she was a designer. I was a designer. I began to introduce her to these people in the fashion field. And we were just doing so many things. And Tume came to me one day and said, if you can do all this stuff for my wife, then why don't you come and manage me? And I said, manage you? I don't know nothing about no music. He (laughs) said, there was a time when you didn't know anything about fashion. And he says, I believe that you offer much more. And I said, "Okay, I'll try it. He said, no, 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 no. You're going to come in, you're going to do this. (laughs) Oh, I went up to his house each and every single day for about seven years. And he was such incredible. I mean, this man was a genius. He was so brilliant. He was mastermind and teaching and supporting you in your quest. So I had to go, he was signed to Sony Music wow. at a production deal. And he sent me over there as his manager. And these people, I felt like a fool. I felt so stupid. Each and every single time I would meeting, I would have to come back and talk to m 2 in this room in this house that we call the yellow room. And in the yellow room is where everyone got beat up by m 2 in every single meeting. Each meeting that I would have would be about two and a half hours. And he said, did you ask this question? Did you ask that question? Da, da, da. And then I think eventually they called in Tume and said, are you sure this is your manager? He said, I'm sure. So eventually, after about six months, I was able to go in there and run what was the business of James M. Tume. At that time, he had 11 people on his roster. He was the biggest artist outside of Michael Jackson on that label. And I went in and I orchestrated the career of James M. Tume to Wath and all the people that he had on his label. That's how I began in the music industry. Wow.
0: So with all that you've done, what is that thing about what you do that makes you love what you do?
1: I think that thing is doing what someone did for me. Teaching, motivating, educating them, and giving people a chance. Young people will open up and understand what an opportunity is. So for five years for m 2 I worked as an intern. Sometimes I got paid, sometimes I didn't get paid. But it wasn't about getting paid. And these young kids today had to come off the horse of wanting to get paid, but going into situations to learn so that they would have the affordability in the future to do what it is that they want to do. But nobody's gonna hire you based on what you look like. They're gonna hire you based on what you bring to the table. And then may allowed me to sit at the table where I knew nothing, absolutely nothing did I know. My first movie involvement was the first film that Oprah Winfrey ever produced. She was an actress. It was called The Native Son. It was produced by Miss Diane Silvers and M.Tume did the soundtrack to that movie. So he did the soundtrack, I managed him, and my job was to bring publicity to the movie and to M.Tume. There was James Baldwin that was a part of it. There was Richard Wesley that was a part of it. I was working with star-studded experts I was a kid, didn't know anything, and I was in awe. I was just reading books about James Baldwin. And then Tumay made, made sure when I went to meet with all of these people that I took the time to read their books and to read their background so that I became informed as to who I was meeting with. So back in those days, it wasn't no Google. Back in those days, you had to go to the library and sit and read and understand. And so this was his teaching. He wanted any and everybody that was around him to add. The same kind of energy and the same kind of insight that you could sit down and have meetings with whomever based on you being informed as to who you're sitting down with and why you're sitting down with them. And sure. I, I think that grounded me to be the kind of businessman that I am today. And at one point I used to tell people I have had more employees than the Empire State Building has stepped because I never ever wanted to go back to my, I began my business double exposure in the bottom of my mother's basement, very young. And I said, I never wanted to go back to a basement. So people didn't understand my strength and my conversation or my ability to take no nonsense. I wasn't going back. I wanted to go forward. I knew that my mom wanted me. She said that I had the potential to be the greatest. So anyone around me had to endure my strong strength. I'll just break it down. I didn't take any nonsense. Right. Because I never wanted to go back. I
0: have about 10 questions. I'm going to give them to you like right and hard and fast. First question, which project or person holds a special place in your 46 years in business? Of doing what you Um,
1: do. My first movie, working with James and Tune, that Mm -hmm. starred Mm -hmm. Oprah Winfrey would be then and back in Newark, I started out in non-space knit, and it was with club music, it was dance music. I had the opportunity to work with the Jocelyn Browns of the world, the C.C. Rogers, Blaze. It went on and on. That's how I, I used to come up with these campaigns and go out like to all the clubs, to the Zanzibars and to all the clubs that these dance artists went to. I had a reputation, but not as a publicist, was as a designer, that kind of thing there, but they would listen to me. And so I would take the opportunity to introduce myself to them because you got to remember, club music did not get a spotlight. Mm-hmm. It was about a community and a culture that people listen to. So my job was to try to give them visibility away from the club scene. And that's how I really began. I have so many categories of music that I've dealt with. I represented Beverly Sills. I represented Laura Branigan. I did Chava and I did Stadella Marley and all the Marley's. And then I did R&B music from Genuine to Mary J. Blige to Alicia Keys. Then I did gospel music. It was the Donald Lawrence's and the Karen Clark's cheer. So you have to understand my span in music covers like six different decades by so many other categories in that music. I have a question,
0: what do you do to relax?
1: I don't necessarily, well, you know what? Today is the first day in a very long time that I said, I was absolutely doing nothing. I do enjoy the theater. I enjoy very good people in my life. I don't like using the word friend because I say when you split the syllable, you get the end of a friend. I believe that people should work towards friendship and understanding what friendship is really all about. Friendship to me is loyalty, is dedication, is crying when I cry, is hurt when I hurt, and that's the reverse of it all. And so I like people who like me, and that's important to me. I don't like people who don't like me. I like people who like me. We're on the same page. And so I love the theater, I love small gatherings. The most important thing in my life is I enjoy giving God all the praises. People always tell me how phenomenal I am and what I've done, and that's a crock. I'm not. I am no more than a visual, a visual of God's work and word. And then I'm just thankful that I get the opportunities to do his work and his word through his message of life. A vehicle, I can only drive what he allows me to drive. I can only start the engine when he starts my engine but it's so important for me to tell people because of the kind of business that i'm in this business could drive you up the wall it can make you crazy it can make you hate people it can make you hate yourself but you really got to take time and be thankful for the blessings look i've been doing this for 55 years and i've I've sustained myself to stay in this business and to stay current It ain't because I'm this fabulous person. It's because I give God 45 minutes out of my day each and every single day. If he can give me 24 hours, I can give him 45 minutes to uplift him, to praise him and to walk within his path.
0: (sighs) What is one question you have never been asked and wish you had been?
1: Oh, I don't know. That's a hard one. I don't know. I answer every question. I don't care what it is, personal life or whatever it is. So I can't answer that one.
0: Okay, got you on that one. Huh, yeah, you got you. Me. <laughs> what are your pet peeves?
1: Laziness. <laughs> people giving up. Mm-hmm. People not understand that every race can be won. It's not about winning every race. It's about staying in the race eventually you will win. But you gotta give it its time. You can't give up, always say, the same energy that it takes for you to be successful, you should keep that. Because the same energy it takes for you to be a failure is that same energy. So why don't you apply it to being a successful person? Nothing happens overnight. I don't drink instant coffee. I drink rude coffee. (laughs) <laughs> because anything this instant is going to evaporate.
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: I want something that's going to take time for me to understand it, for it to understand me, and that we can move on the same trail of life.
0: That said, these past years have been crazy. What has been the upside, though, for you?
1: You know, everyone says that, but I have been so, so very blessed. Mm-hmm. Nothing has never stopped. I was more busy during this pandemic than I've been in the last 10 years of my career. I mean, I was getting to a point that I had almost to turn work down. Listen, I am so favored in God's work and word. There is nothing I don't want for anything. It's not because of me, it's because of him. I'm still doing what I did when I was a kid, 60 years later. It ain't because of me, it's because of him. You give him the time, he'll give you the time. I'm very thankful for each and every single minute of life, and I'm not ashamed to tell people where my energy comes from, where my insightfulness comes from, where my ability comes from, and my motivation, and my spirit to tell other people that they can do whatever they want to do. Claim victory, half that, half of the battle is won. And select the right people that you need to be around. You don't need to be around someone that's always doubting you. You need to be uplifted and inspired. I don't want to be around nothing negative. And a lot of the people that I grew up with, oh, he thinks he, no, I don't think that. You had to think, no, I'm not in the same, no, I'm not in the same situation that you're in. Because I thought and I listened to what my mother said. You're great because you're my child. Now I want you to be greater. And then I want you to be the greatest at what you do. And I just think that that motherly love and the encouragement she gave to me no matter what, she was always there. And we need that in our lives. Our children need to be loved. And you can't just think because you give them a roof over their head and closing their back that they know that you love them. You gotta tell them. You gotta say, I love you because you're my child. I love you because you have the ability to be great. I love you because I know that you can go out here and make a difference in the world.
0: That said, is there anything different that you might have learned even later in life as we are now since 2020 and the pandemic? Your sure, life is very different than many others. What-
1: I, I learned the importance of falling romantically in love with myself. I love me some Angelo Ellerbe. Because I can love Angelo, I can love other people. That's something that I learned in my lot of years. I was so forceful back when I was so young, I didn't take time out to love me and to take care of me. And now I can take care, I love me some me. I'm proud of me. And I share that with people because now I can love them and they can begin to fall romantically in love with themselves. I try to encourage people no matter what it is. It's not as bad as you think it is. If there's something bad, there's something good. Look into that bad situation and see what you've learned from it. Then if you learn something from it, you're going to grow by that. You're going to make sure you never do that again because that's a no-no. I just think that it's so very important that we look at the bigger picture. Stop looking at your life through a snapshot and that you need to take some time out to love yourself so that you can love others, that you can learn everything. And the most important thing for me in life is listen, listen, and listen. Observe. Get what you need to get. Don't know everything. Speak up, talk up, but don't know everything. But listen.
0: You know, this season has been a very, very tough one for me because it deals with looking at people who passed, the five people who passed between August and November last year for me. And a couple of them have been on my podcast, which I'm very thankful. One of them, you knew, who promised to be on it but passed before. And the thing is, is that this season is about honoring or celebrating those lives that have passed. Yes. Which in itself is still pings on the heart because it's still in recognition of those lives that I've lost or those lives that have transcended you know and so it's still a heavy heart while even I'm heading to a funeral now, right now, my godfather, who just passed on Thursday. All that to say is that it through one of those lives, I was able to connect with you. Yes. Which is also a very marvelous thing. And in our conversations, you've impacted me greatly in the sense of your faith. I speak to in my book, because I don't speak a lot of it out there in the you know in the, in the social media world, et cetera, et cetera. I do what I do, and I have faith that I have. And a lot yes. of those questions don't come to me anyway, so I don't put it out there just to put it out. But the connection that we have, for me, I sit back and I think about it. And so you have impacted me in a way. That is very different than what I've had prior to being also the person that you are, giving the time. Yes. Know, and which I appreciate. So, to have you here, I wanted to tell my audience listen, you never know who you're going to meet. As you say, stay positive, keep the negative away. Yes. And keep yourself open and truthful and moving forward. Yes. Right? And, so y- and you know what? Than- mm-hmm.
1: There is an amen to sweet spots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the other thing. This is the sweet spot moment for me. But Absolutely. then I look at everything in life usually. I have these rose that you know, people come here, you know, you're always looking at the positive, but this is a sweet spot for me. And I'm like, I appreciate it. And I wanted to let my audience know this. I wanted to let them know, thank you for caring and sharing and being here to listen to Angelo, spending your time, valuable time with us today. And whenever you're on your beat, stay on the sunny sunny side of the street safely be health conscious and kind to one another and don't ever forget to give thanks for the little and big gifts angelo
1: very well said very well said
0: i am very Very well
1: said
0: (laughs) i'm very very thankful that you're here giving your time again
1: i'm Hi. thankful that you invited me to come on I, i'm very thankful that you invited me to come on I, I appreciate what you are doing with regards to your podcast and your acting and all the contributions that you make to society i think that your your fan base should understand the variables in terms of being in the performing arts trying to write a book becoming an author these are all challenges and I applaud your efforts because you're breaking through each and every single challenge that you were afraid of. And that's why I said there's no such thing as fear. Confront those fears. And when you confront them, oh my God, it's like seeing the preciousness of heaven because you fought through. And that's what I'm telling people on your podcast today. If you think it's really bad, there got to be a good in it. And you got to fight through those demons because demons come in disguises. Sometimes you would think that girlfriend of yours is your friend and that's the person that's pulling you down. And that's why I say you have to watch what you bring in your life. Watch what you bring into your life and people should earn your friendship. And you should study and understand if they're really friends or not.
0: Thank you. It's a
1: sweet spot. It really is a sweet spot (laughs) that you get to in life. You get to that. Wow. It's an awakening and you say, wow. And you know what the thing that I've learned? You're never too old to learn. You're never too old to learn. God is the teacher and he will teach you, teach you, teach you and he's been teaching me and teaching me and my job is to put it back out there so that people can understand. If it worked for me, it's got to work for you. There's nothing special about me. The only thing that I think that I have that the next person don't have is a work ethic, maybe. I love the way I live. I'm accustomed to a certain way and I know nobody's gonna give it to me, but me. So I have to work.
0: Thank you, Angelo, for being here. I am so thrilled and I will be talking to you soon. I appreciate you tremendously. Amen.
1: uh, Let me get amen over here. (laughs) Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you, Ozzie, and I wish you nothing but great success. And to your supporters, support support, Ozzy, because she's written this incredible book. She's fighting demons each and every single day, just like you are and I am. She's seen everything come to fruition at this time in her life. Support this podcast, because it brings you a positive energy right into her and tell her how good her work is. Because we need to give that support back to make it communal for everyone.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Angel. We will be talking soon.
1: You have a blessed evening.
0: Thank you. Thank it's you. My, it's Thank my, my pleasure. Okay.
1: All right, uh, my love.
0: Bye
1: bye. Bye bye.